Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We are spending the hour talking with the very incredible Dory Greenspan about her latest cookbook. Ahead on Seasoned, Dory reflects on 30 years of writing cookbooks and the constant tinkering that happens while she's developing a recipe. Homebakers, there's lots of encouragement to glean from this conversation since even Dory's baked some delicious mistakes and she's going to share a few with us. She also shares the story behind those famous world peace cookies and the recipe for the latest variation. Dory Greenspan is a five-time James Beard Award winner. For years, she was a columnist for the New York Times. She writes the XOXO Dory newsletter and she's the author of 14 cookbooks so far. Her latest is Baking with Dory, Sweet Salty and simple. Dory Greenspan, welcome to Seasoned. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure. Plum, I know you're fangirling. Get it out of the way now. I know. I can't help it. I can't. I'm sitting here looking at Dory Greenspan on a Zoom call. (laughs) This is crazy. Oh, and I'm looking at your hair with such envy. It's the only thing I can show you because what am I going to tell you? (laughs) Nothing. Dory, he has has the best hair in broadcasting. You're so wrong when you say, you know, what can you tell me? All of us learn every day. I just recently wrote something about Julia Child, who, you know, I had the chance to work with and I adored. And she was such a mentor to me. And she said that we are so lucky to work in food because it means that we'll be learning something new all the time. I think we learn something new Every day as we're working and every day as we talk to people, we never know when we're going to have that moment where somebody's going to say something and we're going to think, oh, yes, that gives me an idea. You're absolutely right. And that's, I think that's with cooking, parenting, walking down the street, commuting. If you're open to receiving, you kind of learn stuff, I think, right? All the time. It's a great segue because I know that to that Julia is very close to you um, and that you have this fantastic cookbookery, which did you patent that word yet? Because if you didn't, you should. (laughs) No, it was hers. It was hers. I swiped it from her. (laughs) I noticed that in this this latest cookbook, there are some recipes that have the XOXO on them. Can you explain that? Because I love that. I've always signed things XOXO Dory. And I'm not so organized. I always think I look more organized than I am because my hair is short, but um, it's the hair. It's the hair. Run with it. Run with it, Dory. When I'm working on a cookbook, I think, oh, I'll make this. I'll make that. I'll make that. And eventually I say to myself, you should make a list. But I rarely make a list until I get the email from my editor saying, books almost do, books almost do. And then I take a look at what I've done and see, you know, have I cooked a book? And with Baking with Dory, as I was looking at the recipes, I write them out on little index cards, the titles, and I kind of deal them out like a deck of cards. And I think, oh, this is breakfast, or this is, you know, salty. I realized that I had played favorites, that I had whole, like mini collections of recipes. So I had like a lot of meringue, 
and a lot of things made with cream puff dough. And so I decided to make those. I put XOXO (laughs) next to them and made them my sweethearts. They're in the book in their own little mini collections as sweethearts. So it's not that we should bake those first. It's just that when we bake them, we know that they're your sweethearts. Well, you know, which is really hard because don't I love all of my recipes? Yes, yes. Um, but these just these just hung together so sweetly that, yeah, you don't have to bake them first. But what's fun with them is, for instance, if you make a shoe paste, the cream puff dough, um, and you decide to make gougere, you've got the technique for making the dough and you now know how to make sweet cream puffs and you know how to make baby puffs, chouquettes that you can coat in sugar. So as you're working along in a little sweetheart section, you're learning something about that family of recipes and giving you the confidence to go on and make others and even to play around with the recipe yourself. I guess some recipes are, you know, we love them all, but some we like a little bit more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You and Julia Child were cut from the same cloth. And I want to tell you my Julia Child story, if you wouldn't mind. Um, oh, I would. are you kidding? I had the pleasure of meeting her. Uh, I graduated from the Culinary Institute of America in 2003. And uh, I guess probably about a year before I graduated, Julia had come to our school and was there doing a demo and talking. And I was one of the students that got picked to walk her back out to her car. And so she had her arm on my arm, arm on arm, and I was walking her out to her car. And she asked me what I love to cook. And I said, uh, well, Miss Child, anything you'd like, I would love to cook it. And she laughed at me and she goes, you keep smiling like that. You'll go really far in this business. And uh, I just thought that was such a sweet thing for her to say. And what was so interesting was her hands. I thought her hands, they'd been around so long in the industry, but they were so soft to touch, which I thought was so interesting and big. She was a big woman. Tall. Tall and 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 the French say fork, strong. Yeah. Um, but this story actually... it. it it made me a little teary because it made me think of so many Julia stories, but there's a line in, I think it's in my life in France, the book that she wrote with her great nephew, Alex Prudhomme. And so she had a brother and a sister and they were all over six feet tall. And there's a line in the book attributed to Julia's mother that says um, that she was responsible for 18 feet of children. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. But when you said her hands, hands fascinate me. The hands themselves weren't soft. The touch was soft. I think that's because Julia had such a soft heart. But I love looking at baker's hands, cook's hands, craftsmen's hands. You can see the work that they've done. And I, I find that beautiful. When you said, you know, Julia turned to you and said, what do you love to cook? She was so interested in people. You could not do an interview with Julia where she didn't turn it back to a question for you. Yeah. And it wasn't a technique. It was that she was truly interested in what other people were doing, what they were thinking. 
I tried my best to answer Dory. The only thing I could think in my head was left foot, right foot, keep breathing. She's talking to you. <laughs> keep breathing. She's talking to you. Lots of great home cooks find baking pretty intimidating. Uh, but for 30 years now, you've been encouraging bakers to embrace the imperfection and, and get their hands dirty in the kitchen. Can you talk about that a little bit? Probably it, that comes from my not being perfect and my having taught myself there isn't a mistake that I haven't made, but there's probably one coming up this afternoon that'll be brand new. So <laughs> there are always, um, we just have to learn from them. But I love to bake. That's the obvious. Um, I love, I love working with my hands. I love seeing the way things change. I want other people to have that enjoyment. I took science for poets and math for poets. So when people say, oh, but baking, it's so scientific, it's so precise. It's really not. It's, I find it easier than cooking. If you have a good recipe, you just follow it. Hmm. There's also the opportunity to play around in baking. And when we talked about you know learning a recipe and then changing it and following your imagination... You can do that in baking, and I really encourage people to do that. And I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that with baking, even the things that aren't just right are delicious. It's rare that you really burn something in baking. It's rare that something is a complete failure. If a cake falls apart, you put whipped cream on it and call it a trifle. Um, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always something to do. Not so with cooking. You know, you can really mess up a dish. So I think that baking, you know, I just, I'm an evangelist for baking. I want everybody into their kitchens making sweet things. I love it. It is hard to imagine that baking was not the first thing you pursued. I understand that you were studying gerontology. Now at my age, it's the study of aging. At my age, it would come in handy, right? <laughs> I don't know how old you are, but you have the most youthful spirits I have ever encountered. And I've been around plenty of people, so it's, it's infectious. But I, I wonder how that transition was made. I was really interested in aging. I was interested in this, the graduate program that I was in. And I was working on my dissertation and I had um, the kid who's now, you know, a grown man and a father, but the kid. And I just couldn't face going back to it. And my husband said to me, you know, you love to bake. Why don't you do that? And it wasn't exactly a straight line from, you know, baking to working with Julia. But that was the the moment. I was in my mid-30s and I just said, that's it. I'm going to try to do this. Was there any carryover from what you were studying? Were there any parallels? I think no matter what you're doing, when you go to school, when you study, you learn a certain discipline. You learn how to work. You learn how to meet deadlines. You learn how to gather information, to, to consolidate it, to use it. And what you learn in school carries over no matter what you do. Um, did it make me a better baker? Probably not. Did it make me a better recipe writer? Probably yes. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. For our listeners who don't know, you split your time among New York City, Paris, and obviously your favorite, Connecticut, of course. you know. Cause... I love Connecticut. <laughs> uh, how does cooking change in those three distinct kitchens? Like, how is it different? 
I don't think my cooking changes that much. My shopping changes. When I'm in Connecticut, I'm a supermarket shopper. I mean, I have some specialty shops. Um, you know, I buy fish at Starfish Market in Guilford. I go to Fromage in Old Saybrook. Um, but my basics come from the supermarket. When I'm in Paris, I try never to go to the supermarket. There are the outdoor markets. There are the individual specialty shops. So I was in Paris. I just got back at the end of February. I found a store that sells only citrus. Whoa. Only citrus. So it's so much fun to find a store that's so specialized, to find a person in the store who knows a subject and ingredients so deeply. There's a place to just buy oil. So it's not so much the cooking as the shopping and the inspiration that you get when you're in each market. And, you know, there's inspiration to be gotten at Big Y. Truly, it's not just that you go to a beautiful, um, this, the shop is called Lagrumiste, Acrum is the word for citrus. So it's not just that you go to this beautiful little shop. You can be in your local supermarket walking down the aisle and see something and think, oh, beans, white beans. Didn't I just see something? Yeah, what if I did beans? What if I did some greens with it? Does it have to be hot? Could I make it into a tuna salad? All of this starts happening no matter where you are. I'm a private chef, so I do that every single day. I Walk bet. In and what, what do you get inspired by? I love this. I'm particularly inspired by bread, Dory. Never met a loaf I didn't like. Oh. Plum, we did that big episode on bread, but we did not spend nearly enough time on brioche. Yep. So can we rectify that wrong? Not that we didn't love our bread episode because it was fantastic. <laughs> so brioche, it's a rich bread dough. It's made with butter and eggs. It can have milk in it. So it's an enriched dough. In the French you know, lexicon of pastries, um, it's between sweet and savory. It's between what a pastry chef makes and what a bread maker makes. So it's viennoiserie. And it's yeasted. It's elegant. For me, it is the most elegant dough that I know. It's There's something about when it's baked, the, the beautiful golden color of it. Listeners can't see me, but I'm kind of pulling my hands apart. The way when you pull the loaf, it stretches just a little bit. And the fact that you can do so much with it. So in Baking with Dory, I made a brioche loaf that you can slice and toast and have for breakfast or, you know, put jam on or put sauteed mushrooms on anything. But I also use that dough to make babka. And so sweet, filled with chocolate. And as I was working on it, I thought, you know, babka doesn't have to be sweet. And I made a cheese filling and made individual rolls and then made a cheese streusel like a crumb topping to put on top of it. You know, that's how recipes kind of grow. I'm there working with chocolate and I'm thinking it could be something else. It could be cheese. What if it had a little crumb topping? Oh, I love that dough. And you need time to make it. And um, the first time I made it, I made it by hand. I can tell you, you need muscles to make it by hand. It's a good dough for a mixer, um, but it can be made by hand. Everything can be made by hand. 
Um, and when you make it, it is so satisfying because you watch the dough, it comes together and then you start adding butter to it and it falls apart and you think, oh no, oh no, oh no, what have I done? And then you add more and mix more and it comes together again. And you're watching the dough step by step, change by change. And when you pull it out of the oven, there's such, aside from the fact that it smells terrific, it looks beautiful, there's such a sense of pride and satisfaction of having made this. Oh, I want to go make brioche right now, Madison. Let's see what she just did. I want to go eat brioche. Go yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to our conversation with cookbook author Dory Greenspan. Later in the hour, Dory shares her hack for making pie crust. It's one of those things that scares even seasoned bakers. Pun totally intended there. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, Dory explains the evolution of her recipe for world peace cookies. If everyone in the world had this cookie, peace would reign. You're listening to Seasoned on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're spending the hour with James Beard award-winning author, Dory Greenspan. We're talking about her latest book, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. In our first segment, Dory talked about the satisfaction that comes from baking a rich, elegant loaf of brioche from scratch. Brioche is French, so that might sound advanced if you're new to bread baking. But the book includes some basic recipes, too. We asked Dory about some of those basics and why she thought it was so important to include them. Dory, simple is a word that's in the book's subtitle. So I want to make an observation. There are a few recipes in this book that people I might take for granted, like things you buy at the grocery store, English muffins, chocolate ice cream, white bread, whipped cream. Why do you think it was important for people to learn how to make these items, you know, from scratch? Um, because it's fun. because I get such a kick out of making something by hand that I would normally buy in the market. And also it's better, but I mean, there are, there are some really good English muffins that you can buy in the supermarket, but when you make your own, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like I mean, it's a kick. It's fun. It's a joy. And to be able to serve English muffins that you made yourself, really, that's pretty great. Another staple that should be in every home baker's repertoire, chocolate chip cookies. Dory's famous for her cookie recipes. So we were happy to get her thoughts on the American classic. I think they are and can be perfect in so many different ways that there isn't just one perfect chocolate chip cookie. And I thought I had my perfect chocolate chip cookie. And it's, it's pretty great. But then I thought, you know, a chocolate chip cookie could have some snap to it. It could have some more caramel flavor. It could, I was in Paris and I was at a, a small place that I love called Moco Nuts. And Moco, the baker, made a big chocolate chip cookie that was baked all the way through. So it wasn't often when chocolate chip cookies are really large, they're kind of a little raw in the center. It was baked all the way through and it had cranberries and it had some rye flour in it and it had poppy seeds. And I thought it's still a chocolate chip cookie, 
but it's totally new in concept and perfect in this way. So I had so much fun thinking about chocolate chip cookies and thinking about how small changes change the way we I was going to say we feel about them, but it is feel the way we taste them, the way. So I have one chocolate chip cookie that you take the dough and you roll it out any which way, kind of higgledy piggledy and flat. And then you bake it as the way you would bake an uneven pie crust, let's say, you know, just flat, rolled out. I serve it by just putting it down on the table and telling everybody to reach in and break off a piece. Because the cookie is flat and crisp, it's still a chocolate chip cookie, but it's a new chocolate chip cookie. You feel differently about it. I love playing with something that we know really well and changing it so that you have a new feeling about it. You see it differently. It gives you new ideas. I got to tell you, that's chocolate chip cookie. That's also like another life lesson. Plum, I feel like Dory is dropping dimes on us right now. Well, while we're talking about cookies, your world peace cookie recipe is one that, you know, I mean, home bakers have to have it in the repertoire and you've reimagined them for the new book. Let's talk about the spirit behind the cookie and, and how it's evolved. The original recipe for the cookie was given to me by the French pastry chef Pierre Hermé, and it was called the Corova cookie. And I think he gave me the recipe. It was before 2000. I first published it in my book, Paris Sweets, which came out 2002. And it was Corova, which was um, the name of the restaurant in Paris that he created the cookie for. And I put it in Paris Sweets. I loved the cookie. Just as I was finishing baking from my home to yours, a neighbor of mine said to me, you know that cookie with the funny name, the chocolate one? I said, yeah. He said, we make it all the time, but we call it world peace cookies. Okay. And I thought, ah, what a name. And he said, we think that if everyone in the world had this cookie, peace would reign. And I thought, I have to, I have to republish that with that name. And I did. And it was in my cookie book. It ended up being in Dory's Cookies. It ended up being on the cover. And I thought, the world has world peace. Cookies, not peace, if only. Um, That's it. I'm finished. And a friend of mine, Charlotte Druckmann, was working on the book, Yeah, Women in Food. And Mm -hmm. she said, would you rethink the world peace cookie? I said, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Doesn't need rethinking. It's perfect just the way it is. And then I thought, what if I thought about ingredients that had characteristics I admire in women? Could that make a cookie? And so I added rye flour to the recipe for groundedness. I added um, cocoa nibs. So they're kind of sharp and really strongly flavored chocolate. And so I added that for strength. I added cayenne pepper or Piedmont d'Espelette for just that kind of bit of pop and unexpectedness. What else did I add? I added... I'm looking at it now. The the raspberries, raspberries, the the freeze-dried raspberries. Just for that verve. So we had strength and groundedness and verve and kind of unpredictability and... And I kept playing with the cookie because, I mean, there's no point in changing perfection if it's not going to be good. Um, And it was good. It was really good. 
And so it became World Peace Cookies 2.0. This is really the moment for World Peace. We should all be making cookies right now. 100%. Dory, you thought you couldn't tinker with something and you found out you could. And you made it a 2.0 version. But talk to us about that process of tinkering. I'm, I'm especially thinking about your olive oil brownies. You know when it's gone sideways, south, or wrong very quickly. <laughs> you know, it's the way it looks or it's certainly the way it the way it tastes. I often have these like what-if moments. Like, oh, what if? What if I used oil instead of butter? What if? I changed the shape of something. And so when you look at my notebooks, there are these cross outs and little scribbles. And, you know, I work and work and tinker. And when it's good, I put either hearts or stars next to it. And I know that, okay, this is this recipe will go into the book. And that's when I go to a, a computer. Wow. Same thing for me. I know when I tinker with something, if it messes up too much, it's pretty instantaneous. You know, it. the sauce breaks, the, you know, you, overcook you know, it, it, you, know. you know, but so the last column that I wrote for the New York times was about making a mistake and it was with the thumbprint cookies. Um, so I try to be organized. I try to like, I write down all the ingredients and then I do a mise en place. So I take all the ingredients and I measure them out and I put them in bowls and I put the bowls in the order in which I'm going to use the ingredients. But this time when it came time to fold in the chopped chocolate, there wasn't any. I had measured out all the chocolate, the right amount, total right amount of chocolate, and then melted all of it. I didn't leave some to fold in. And so, yeah. And so I'm the type that gets, I'm so, I get angry. I get frustrated. I say, oh, this is never good. And I would <laughs> normally just like start all over. But I put that dough in the oven and it made a delicious cookie. So sometimes the mistakes are really good. Happy mistakes. Yes, happy mistakes. <laughs> happy mistakes. Sometimes mistakes are just mistakes. That's right. Uh, well, the book includes tons of culturally inspired recipes. Can you talk about the experience of exploring other people's cultures, like baked goods through travel, and how to treat these as a conduit for connection? COVID changed so much. So this book was, half of it was was written in the before times, and the other half was written during the pandemic when we were in Westbrook all the time. So there are some recipes that do come from my travels, and I find food Food connects all of us. And even people who say, I don't cook or I don't bake, they eat. If you turn to food, you can always find a way to start a conversation. And one of the recipes, so I have a few travel recipes in the book, but one that I'm thinking of is the almond fika cake, F-I-K-A. So I was in Stockholm and I was introduced to a young pastry chef. And she invited me to her studio and she served coffee and cake and told me about fika. Fika is, it's not so much a coffee break as a time, several times during the day when you stop, if you're in an office and offices do this, you just stop everything. And it's a moment to just chat with your colleagues, usually to have coffee and something. Children have fika in school. 
before bed, they might have a sandwich fika. And I love this idea of stopping to just like change. You're told to leave your phones at your desk and you you go in to have coffee and cake and conversation. Mia was the name of the chef, Mia Orn, gave me this recipe for this almond cake, which I I love as a cake. I mean, you don't have to know the story to love this cake. It's a soft cake. And just before it's finished baking, you take it out of the oven and you put warm almonds and uh, it's a mixture of almonds and milk on top of it. And you put it back in the oven and it bakes to like a caramel crisp on top. And you've done nothing difficult, but it's naturally beautiful. And I love the idea of, I think about this cake coming out in the middle of the afternoon when mothers are with their children and just stopping to have a moment together or to be in an office and to stop. When this book came out, I got a letter from someone who worked at the UN who said that she was so interested in this idea of a congenial stop in the day that she instituted Fika, Fika Fridays in her office. And the first Fika cake that they had was the one from my book. And they do this every Friday. And so we learn about, Chef Plum, just as you said, we learn about culture often through through food and it can change us. It's so interesting because Fika in Portuguese and Portuguese is to get or to understand el fica. And so when you said fica, I thought, I wonder if it's going to have to do any, anything to do with understand. And it kind of does, like you're understanding that still moment based on, on your experience in Stockholm. How interesting. Yeah. Yes, this, 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 well, I mean, we can, we can extend it and think it's a social moment, but it's a moment where we come to understand one another. I also have, uh, you said Portugal, I have my, the cover cake on Baking with Dory is the Lisbon chocolate cake. And that came from travel as well. But unlike the, the fika cake, I was given the recipe, the Lisbon chocolate cake, I had it like minutes before we had to race into a taxi and get to the airport and leave. So I just kept the memory. I mean, the cake was so fabulous. And I recreated it or recreated what I remembered it being. And it became the cover. It was the cover girl. The cover girl from just a memory. Yeah. You're listening to our conversation with food writer Dory Greenspan. She writes the XOXO Dory newsletter. And we're talking about the recipes from her latest book, Baking with Dory. Wouldn't we all like to be doing that? I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Don't go anywhere because Dory is about to drop some serious pie wisdom on us after the break. I didn't wait for it to chill. I didn't wait for the gluten to say, I'm relaxed. I just rolled it out. You're listening to Seasoned on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Season. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. This hour, Plum and I are talking with an icon in the baking world, Dory Greenspan. Baking can be intimidating for home cooks who don't bake often. 
And baking pies, specifically those pie crusts, can be a real challenge, even for bakers with years of experience. Baking pie crust, it can make you feel like an Olympic gold medalist or like you just lost your best friend. <laughs> At least that's my experience. <laughs> I can help make you feel like an Olympic gold medalist all the time. Yay! So Ooh, this is okay. something, Chef Plum, I am sure they didn't teach you this in culinary school. In fact, I'm sure they would frown on this. I was taught, and I, as I said, I'm self-taught, but I had the chance to stand next to some pretty fabulous chefs and learn from them, mm -hmm. um, that you make pie dough and you put it in the refrigerator and you let it chill, relax, let the gluten relax, mm -hmm. and then you roll it out. And that's so hard to do. You take it out of the refrigerator. If it's not exactly the right temperature, it's too hard to roll. Then you take your rolling pin and you beat, beat, beat. You just like hit the dough. So one day in the privacy of my own kitchen, I broke all of those rules. I made the dough. I put it between two sheets of parchment paper and I rolled it out. I didn't wait for it to chill. I didn't wait for the gluten to say, I'm relaxed. I just rolled it out. And it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It was soft. It was supple. It was pliable. It was malleable. It was submissive. And then I chilled it. And then I had a conversation with the dough. I said, dough, do you care when you go into the refrigerator? Are you okay going in after I roll you out? And dough said, <laughs> it's fine. And that changed everything for me. Wow. You're right, Dory. No one taught me that in culinary school. But ironically, I started doing something very, very similar on Thanksgiving when I make pies, simply because I forgot to make pie dough one Thanksgiving. I had to make it immediately. And I was like, I'm just going to go with it. And it worked out almost just fine. Pretty fine. You know, by then you've had enough red wine. Nobody cares anyway. <laughs> well, there is that about dessert in general. But so right. if you roll it out, because it's usually the rolling that makes yeah, people uh -huh. nervous. So you've rolled it out. You can just about whistle while you're rolling. It's so easy. Then you chill it. Give it a good rest. And then yeah. you fit it into the tin. If, so I make my dough in the food processor, which is another way of like making it. There are fewer decisions to make. You just do it. It keeps the ingredients cold. When you get the hang of this, you can make it in the food processor. You can roll it out. And you come to know the dough and if it, you can feel it, if it feels like it's, it's still cold, you can fit it into your pie um, pan right then and then freeze the pie pan or refrigerate the pie pan so that, yes, you feel like an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> There's, it's so much less stress. I was a pie scaredy cat for years. And then a friend taught me how to roll. And then I did this little heresy thing um, of rolling it out, right? Let's tell everyone. <laughs> it's a game changer. Dory, I understand there's someone new baking with Dory, your sweet little granddaughter. <laughs> oh, she's some, well, I, th I think actually she's napping now. Oh, well, then we can ask this question in a whisper. <laughs> <laughs> no. She's, I'm so happy to be with her today. Gemma, Gemma the Wonderful. Gemma the Wonderful. So how has having Gemma in your life 
informed your baking now? What are you hoping to pass along to her? So she's 18 months old and um, we haven't made something from start to finish together yet. Um, But often when I'm baking by myself in the kitchen, I'll do something and think, oh, Gemma could do that. So, you know, making the thumbprint cookies, thinking that she could put her thumb in it, shaping balls of dough. I'm thinking, oh, she would love to to do that. What we discovered um, is she loves chocolate chip cookies. That, that's that's amazing. Uh, we love the whole savory chapter in the book because I think it's a great reminder for people that baking isn't always about desserts. I mean, honestly, there's a wonderful savory tart for every season. Potato parm tart looks incredible. Um, as a chef, I can't wait to make this for my clients. This dish looks amazing. And I love the, the thyme on top. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned this. I don't know what inspired this. But I do know that I made it for the first time in Paris. So it's... Um, I make a galetto that I really like that's very, very easy to work with. And so this is the galetto made in the food processor, rolled out immediately um, and left flat. So it's like a platter and the dough is partially baked. And then it's a mixture of cream cheese and Parmesan and cracked black pepper and scallions on top of the dough, and then very thinly sliced potato. And it's so simple. I mean, it's really not... I'm having a mini conniption here because (laughs) when this cookbook arrives at my house, that is the first recipe I made of yours. Did you? Oh, yes. How wonderful. Did you love it? It was (laughs) a hit with my family. My 12-year-old, who stages a hunger strike at least three times a week... Said, <laughs> he said, where'd you get this? I said, the kitchen. Whose kitchen? Our kitchen. And I showed him your book. And he just, you know, he kind of looked at it and popped another piece in his mouth. So, Dory Greenspan, your work here is done. Full circle moment. Okay, bye kids, I'm done. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is another one of those recipes, though, where it's just three components. It's the rolled out dough, it's the cream cheese filling, and then potatoes on top. I mixed some potatoes and apples on top. And that was really nice. And then I made it with sweet potatoes. And then I put some spicy pepper in it. It's really a template. It's something that you can, if you, if you love it, you'll play with it and make it, make it your own. So we just mentioned um, this part about playing around, which I think for our listeners or some people, home cooks, will see a recipe and think they have to follow it to a T. Where do you stand on that philosophy? So I like to tell people and cross my fingers that they'll do this to make the recipe the way it's written the first time you make it. That way, mm-hmm. then you get a sense of it. And then you can have the what if. What if I add this? What if I add that? I'm writing a newsletter now twice a week. Uh, and it's called XOXO Dory. Um, and it's, I, I do a lot of recipes in the newsletter. And I always like to give people ideas for how they can take the recipe and play with it. Um, because sometimes it's a question of you don't have the ingredients. So what can, it's not so much playing as necessity. How can I substitute? Sometimes you've got a food allergy or someone is gluten-free or 
And so I feel like once you build enough self-confidence, once you feel like you can go into the kitchen and make something, it frees you up to play, to make the kinds of adjustments that you might have to make because you don't have ingredients or to be able to make something that suits whatever your family's or your own you know, needs are. So learning to learning something, following the recipe, learning how it's done, frees you to be able to do more. Yeah, interesting. Dory, you have spent so much of your life writing, observing, being immersed in this culinary world. You've had accolades. You're a mom, a grandmom, a wife, a daughter, and all the rest. And I, I wonder, after all this time, and I feel like you've got so much more ahead of you, is baking on a Sunday morning still the same as it was when you first started? Yes. Yes. It's never, I feel so lucky. I've never lost interest in it. I've never stopped being surprised by it. You know, we talked about Julia early on. I'm going to come back to Julia because she famously said, I won't get the quote exactly right, but she said, find something in your life that you're interested in and stick to it passionately. And I feel that I was so lucky to find baking. It's still fun to just bake for the fun of it, the pleasure of it, and the opportunity to, you know, share what I bake. Yeah, still fun. Well, I couldn't agree more. It's still fun to read every cookbook you write and check out all of your recipes. We can't thank you enough for spending this time with the story. It's been a true treat. Thank you. I loved having time with you. Thank you. That was Dory Greenspan. She's a five-time James Beard Award winner, and there are likely more of those awards in her future. Her latest cookbook is Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. You can find two recipes from the book on our site, Dory's Iced Honey Apple Scones, and of course, those World Peace Cookies 2.0. Just head over to the website, ctpublic.org recipes. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen-Aiken, Katie Tularski, and Emily Cherish. Our interns are Sarah Gasparato and Michaela Sabat. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can catch past episodes of Seasoned on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and never miss our conversations with people making great food and drink in our state and beyond. See you next week.